Thank you for listening to the Reclaim Church podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to your life. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX. Now please enjoy this message. Well, anyway, I'm happy to be home, and I have a message today that I really do want to share with you guys. And I'm just going to talk about um, really what it is to be called by God and what, what the assignment that we have on our life. And so um, it's something that, that I, we always talk about the presence of God, right? And, and something that we never shy away from and we never will is the Holy Spirit and what he does. Now, sometimes he does a lot of things that we don't understand. And sometimes he does things that, that we're not quite comfortable with yet. But that's okay because there's always learning and there's growing in him. And what I love about the move of the Holy Spirit is, is it always lines up with Scripture. God does not contradict himself. So what he speaks, it happens, and he, he backs himself up with his word. And so it's a wonderful thing. But really what, what we talk about is often entering into the presence of God and, and getting, in, getting to know the spirit of God. And the idea that every one of us has access to God. And, and there's no special person that, that can meet God and somebody can't. All of us have, have an opportunity to access God. But, but sometimes it's like, okay, when I get into his presence, then what do I do? Because a lot of times what happens is, um, you'll meet somebody or maybe you've been somebody or, or you've known somebody that they, 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 they become, I'm going to say over-spiritual, but I don't mean over-spiritual because there's so much depth to the Spirit of God. It's very hard to be over-spiritual. I think what I'm going to say is over-religious. Um, they become over-religious to the point of saying, well, I just need to be with God and it doesn't really matter what, ha- what else happens to anybody else. The problem with that is that's really con- it contradicts the reason Jesus came. He didn't come that we would have a solitude relationship with him, although that is important. It is important to get along with God. He came that we would, that we could know him, and then he commissioned the believers to what? Spread the gospel, right? So ultimately, what is the assignment that we have? Because we've all been given an assignment by God. Every one of us has a purpose and a reason why we're living. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 22 through 24, it says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. And they begin to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So in this scripture, what's happening is Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And this is the last, the last supper, and he's sitting down with the disciples. And he's kind of telling them, like, hey, this is what's going to happen. Somebody's going to betray me, and I'm going to die. Like, so he's basically laying out the plan. And I, I always thought it was kind of funny because... In this moment, this, 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 I guess, really intense moment with Jesus, he's, he's, he's the last time they're eating dinner together. It's, it's all going to happen, right? The plan of God is, is beginning to unfold. In this moment, the disciples begin to argue about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Now, oftentimes what, we, what, what I notice is, is sometimes we have pointless arguments or pointless debates. Has that ever happened to anybody? You get into a pointless argument. If you've been on Instagram or social media for any length of time, you've either been involved in one or have seen a pointless argument. Um, I, for one, refuse to argue online. I think it's pointless. Again, right? Nobody's going to change their mind. All right? That's just me. Okay. Well, let's get some water here. But we get involved in these, social, these, these pointless debates, pointless arguments. Maybe it's a fight with a spouse. That when you look down, do you ever argue with each other and, you're, and then at the end of it you're like, well, how did we even start fighting? Like, what, what happened here? It's all pointless stuff. It doesn't really lead anywhere. Maybe you get, get into those with your, with your coworkers or, 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 or your, your, um, 
your, your classmates or where, whatever you're at, oftentimes we find ourselves in these, these pointless discussions. But the, problem, the, the point I'm trying to make is it's so easy to get sidetracked from what God is calling us to do. And we get sidetracked by meaningless stuff. Jesus is sitting with these guys and he's explaining to them what's going to happen. And they get sidetracked from the point he's trying to make and go into, okay, well, who's the greatest out of all of us? The reason they were debating this is they were, it was really a moment of self-preservation because Jesus is saying, hey, somebody here is going to betray me. And so their point was, okay, I'm the greatest. So if I'm the greatest out of these, I'm for sure not the one going to betray you. They're, they're, they're beginning to argue this. Maybe, maybe they, were, they were looking at it and they were thinking like, okay, Jesus is going to be gone pretty soon. Somebody's got to lead this group, so maybe I could be the leader. They begin to argue about, really, it, it, was, it was, I think it was their insecurities coming out because they begin to argue about who the greatest was. They went from um, talking about uh, um, Jesus dying on the cross to debating about who was the greatest. And it was this moment of pointless argument, pointless debate. And so Jesus kind of brings them back in chap- uh, verses 25 through 29. He says, the king of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader, as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves you? You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom. We've also heard Jesus tell them to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. He said, pray on earth as it is in heaven. So what is Jesus saying to them? He's saying, listen, you're arguing about something, but what I want you to establish is a kingdom, a kingdom that is really based on heavenly principles and heavenly uh, culture. And in that heavenly culture, the, the assignment is to serve like Jesus. Their assignment by God was not to become the greatest, but it was to become the servant. So Jesus kind of has to bring them back, and it, really what he's saying is, listen, I need you to serve people. Show, what does he say? The Bible says that you'll, you'll know them, you'll know they're my disciples by the way they what? Love one another. So Jesus is teaching them, listen, you have to become servant-minded in the way that you live. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's not always easy. Isn't it weird how it's easier to do with people that you don't know than people that are like in your own house? Thank you, Kathleen, for laughing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's easier to serve somebody you don't know than people that you're in your own house. But Jesus is saying, listen, you've got, you've got to change your, your thinking. You're not assigned by God to be the greatest. You're assigned by God to be a servant. But what is the role of a servant? The role of a servant when it comes to the kingdom is to not build your own kingdom but to build and serve the kingdom of God. And how do we build and serve the kingdom of God? The greatest thing that we can do for the kingdom is to connect the loss to the Savior. That is building the kingdom. It's not building a ministry. It's not building necessarily a church. It is building the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's bringing the lost and the broken and the hurting and saying, hey, listen, I know somebody that can help you and connecting them to the Father. Somewhere along the line, we've missed this. Now, I'm going to ask you a challenging question. I'm not going to ask you when the last time was that you prayed, or when the last time you read your word, or even when the last time it was that you worshiped. But when was the last time you evangelized? 
when was the last time you spread the gospel to somebody who doesn't know Jesus? That's the question we all have to ask. I have to ask myself that often. God is always challenging me to do something, and I don't always do it if I'm honest. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. You're like, well, I'm checking out now. I'm going to go find another church for the pastor who does always do it. I don't always do it, but he's, he's, chall- he's challenged me to begin to spread the gospel to people that I don't know. Even people that you do know, but we forgot about these things, right? It's, it's like, well, if I go to church and if I read my word, and I'll be good. Yeah, yeah, you'll be good, but what about them? What about other people? So I, I, I want to read a story, and, and it's in the book of, of Ruth, chapter 1. And you're like, well, I thought you already read this story. Well, I have another story to read. Because what I've realized is, is we hear these things, and, and we understand that God has assigned us, but oftentimes it's, it's a little bit hard to grasp that it could be us. So Ruth, chapter 1, verse 8 through 18, says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So the backstory of this is, is Naomi has two daughter-in-laws. It's Ruth, and, and it's actually Orpah for years. I called her or, uh, Oprah, and <laughs> I actually read it one day, and it said Orpah. And so anyway, so it's Ruth and Orpah, and, and these daughters have been following Naomi. They, they married her sons, and they're actually Moabites. And so um, what happens is, is Naomi's husband dies, and then the, the, her two sons die, so the daughters are left without husbands. And really the connection that they had with Naomi is now broken because it was through the relationship of marriage and their husbands are now dead. And so Naomi saying, go return to each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, the, with um, the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed him and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they turned and said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go on your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter. To me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she was determined to go with her. When, oh, excuse me. When, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So what do we see here? We see that Naomi, without knowing it, is given a, an, an assignment or given a task. The task that she doesn't know is Ruth. But immediately what happens is she misses the op- almost missed the opportunity because she first looks at her deficiency or what she doesn't have. She, puts, she pushed them away because she said, I don't have anything left to give you. She was lacking sons and she was lacking a family. Really, this, this woman is empty. She's broken. And so she has these two young women in her life and she's, she says, no, 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 no. Get away from me. I can't help you anymore because I don't have what you're looking for. 
Now that too can be our argument sometimes. When you hear, well, spreading the gospel, I don't have what they're looking for. I don't have the answer for them. I'm not good enough to talk to them about it. I'm still struggling myself. Is there anybody? I'm still going through it. But can I say this? Deficiency doesn't disqualify you from the work of God. Because God called you. He assigned your life. It, it wasn't really about what you have. It really is about what you don't have. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Do not, not many of you were wise according to, to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, God assigned you so that you can give him glory. Our lives are meant to be lived out for the glory of God. Now we think because we lack something or because we're, 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 we're deficient in a certain area because we don't have enough or we don't have the, the personality or the giftings, we think at our life and we say, no, no, God can't use me because I don't have enough to use. But what Scripture is telling us is that God uses those weak things. God uses the broken things. God uses the, the despised and the low and the foolish. He uses these things to, for His will, for His glory. So deficiency really doesn't disqualify you from the work of God. You can lack everything, but the lack is why God called us. I find so much comfort in that. Because oftentimes I look at my own weaknesses. Even as we're still building this church and doing what the Lord has called us to do, I look at my weaknesses and, and God says, hey, it's not about you. It's not your power. It's not your wisdom. It's not your gifts. It's his. It's, I guess he would tell me it's mine. <laughs> I didn't want to say that because it sounds weird on the mic, I guess. It's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. It's the spirit of God. It's, it's, it's his will. Because really when we think about it, if we disqualify ourselves because of what we lack, that means if we had enough, we'd be qualified. Right? Like, think, think, think down to it. If you say you don't have enough to be used by God, then you're saying if you just had a little bit more, then you could, then you could be. But it's never about what you have. Can, can I just say that we'll never have enough by ourselves? In my own strength, I will never be strong enough to do what God called me to do. In my own strength, I'll never be strong enough to overcome sin. In my own strength, I'll never be strong enough to say no to temptation. In my own strength, because, because in my own strength is what? The flesh. The flesh is me, and my flesh is weak. Are we, are we understanding what I'm saying this morning? By nature, we're deficient. We're born into sin. By nature, we don't have enough, but what happens is we meet God, he comes into our lives, empowers us to do his will. He gives us himself to do what we've been called to do. So when we look beyond our, our lack, we begin to realize that it's not about me saving somebody. It's about me introducing them to Jesus. I cannot save one soul. I can't. I cannot change one heart. It's impossible for me to do that. I can't do it. This church, we can't do it without God. 
I can't, I can't tell somebody like, hey, you know what, let me, let me change you. Let me, let me mold you and shape you. Like, how ridiculous does that sound? I can't do that. But what I can do is say, hey, you're struggling. I know somebody who can help you. And I can begin to introduce them to the power of the Holy Spirit and to the work of God. Well, look at our church. It's obviously not the biggest church in the world, right? I, I'm pretty sure there's some bigger churches out there. I think so. We're obviously not the most crowded church. But, but it's not about the size of the church. We don't have, I'm not the smartest pastor. I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a family therapist. I, I never went to, really, I, I never even graduated high school. I never went to college. I never went to seminary. I never, never got my, my, I don't know what, what they would call it, a Bible degree. I don't really know what it's called. That's how bad it is. I never did all that stuff. But although some may say, well, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. No. I'm not doing what I'm doing because what, what I did. I'm up here because of what God is doing. And so when I meet somebody, I can say, listen, I don't got all the answers for you, but I do have one I got one answer. It's, his name is Jesus. I don't have all the power for you and the strategy, but if you would just tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, then you'd begin to change. Things would begin to move in your life. We'd have, we've had people come up in our own church say, hey, my marriage has changed for the better just because we've been coming and because we've been experiencing God and because we've been surrendering to the power of the Spirit, things are getting better in my own life. My marriage was a wreck when we first got married. I didn't think we'd make it past two years, honestly. I was done, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he came in, began to change me, began to change my wife, and my marriage began to change. Now, I'm not saying that the people with the degrees are any worse than I am because we're all sinners and we all are disqualified from the work of God. But what I am saying is deficiency doesn't disqualify you. I want to encourage you to say you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the strongest. You just have to be surrendered to God. And God will use your life. Well, I don't want to witness because I don't know the Bible. Well, first, I would say you should probably read the Bible. I think that's, I think that's a good thing to do as a Christian. Read your word. But don't let your lack of knowledge of the Scripture stop you from telling somebody about Jesus. Don't let your lack of knowledge stop you from inviting somebody to church. You, do you get what I'm saying? We may not have the best or the smartest or the greatest, but we have the answer. We have him. When, when, when people come to our church, they come and experience the presence of God, and, and, and it's, it's just an amazing thing. He's here. Like, he's with us. Like, he stays with us. He, he, he's, he's blessed our church with, with the favor to have him here. And so when people come, honestly, I don't care that we're small. Some people will say, well, don't say that out loud. <laughs> like, they're not going to know when they get here. I don't care that we're small. I don't care that we don't have all the money. I don't care. Like, all that stuff will come. We will grow, and the, the Lord will bless us and provide all that we need. But at this moment right now, and, and for as long as we're here, the attraction to our church will never be programs. It will never be the wisdom and the strength of the pastor. It will always be the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit will be the foundation the, the covering, the surrounding of our church. So when people come in, they're not going to be convinced to stay by my words, but they're going to be convinced to stay by the power of the Holy Spirit. Deficiency doesn't disqualify you. In fact, if you're deficient, you're a perfect candidate for the work of God. 
Now, if you have it all together and you know it all, then, then I don't know. You should find a better church. So I think sometimes we're, we, we, we miss the assignment because we think we're deficient. But also we miss the assignment oftentimes because, because of our desolation or because we, we, we allow ourselves to be alone. Naomi's telling them, get away from me. Go. I, I can't help you. So I want, I'd rather be by myself sad than have you with me because already my life is pretty bitter. And if you stay with me, your life will end up like mine. So Naomi's pushing these people away because she's so focused on her brokenness that she wants to be alone. Have you ever been in that place where you're so sad or broken or hurt that you'd rather walk the walk alone than to, than to face what you're feeling with somebody else? So what do we do when we get into this place? It's like, yeah, I know God is calling me, but I'm broken and I'm hurting, so I'd rather be by myself. So anybody that's trying to help me, we begin to push them away. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, how are you really doing? Oh, I'm good. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Praise the Lord, right? Like we say these things to make it sound like we're okay so that somebody, they would just leave us alone because really I'm broken and I'm really hurt. And I'm really bothered and I'm really frustrated. But because I feel this way, I'd rather be by myself. But the, the good thing about this is, is Naomi had a Ruth in her life. And Ruth saw something in Naomi that was worth following. Can I tell you that you need to get around the right people? When you're walking with the Lord, you have to surround yourself with the right people. Surround yourself with people that see the good in you when you don't see it in yourself. Surround yourself with people that, that when you want to give up and quit, they're like, no, 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 I'm going with you. We're going to fight this together. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. Do you get what I'm saying? Oftentimes we try to walk with God by ourselves, and it's like you cannot accomplish anything alone. We need each other. The right friends will give you the right perspective. I'm not talking about surface-level friendships. I mean, I love that we all get together on Sunday and we crack jokes and we talk about sports and we talk about, you know, we, we, we do talk about the move of God and we talk about what he's doing. But, but can, I, can I challenge this church, our church together? Can you find somebody? It doesn't even have to be me or Jess. Like as much as we love you and would love that to be, we understand that it's not always about connecting with the pastor and we never want it to be just like that. But can I challenge you to find somebody that you can open up to about how you're really feeling? Like what you're really going through? Really, really going through? I have, I think I, I might have shared this before, but I have five pastors in my life who I've confessed all my darkest things that I've been through, all my struggles. I've told them, I've called them on the phone. I said, this is what I'm going through because I need people around me. I need it. And you do too. There's a quote that says, it's almost impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. That's Craig Rochelle. You should listen to his podcast, Great Leadership Stuff. But we need, to get an, uh, we, need a, we need a Ruth in our life, somebody that will stick around when times get tough. But, but really, it takes investment. I'll give an example, like, like my, me and my, my friend Jeremy Marquez. You guys all know him as a sound guy. He's a great friend of mine. Me and Jeremy have been friends for how many years? Like for, for a really, really long time. One of, my, one of my best friends in my life. But the reason we're so close is not because we both lived in California, but because we've invested into a relationship. We've invested into a friendship. 
Now, you could look at that and say, well, I'll never have that relationship because they know each other and they're, you know, the California crew, right? I, you can say those things, but relationship takes time, investment, and sacrifice. If you want deep relationships like that, then you have to be willing to put in the time to make the investment and to make the sacrifices. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Getting around the right people is more than just coming to church on Sunday, but it's, again, it's really about what happens during the week. Who are you calling? Who are you texting? Who are you getting coffee with? Who are you hanging out with? Who is your friend in your life that you could sit down and say, I'm struggling. I need prayer. I need help. My, my marriage is not right. My kids are not right, right? I need to talk to somebody about my kids. I need some help. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, right, you, you get what I'm saying? Because if the enemy can get you alone, he can get you to quit. If he can get you by yourself, then he can get you to quit. It's very rare that we're standing in a conversation with people love, that love us saying, I can't do this anymore. But when does that thought come? When we're by ourselves. Struggling with things that nobody knows. That's when those thoughts come. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. We need friendships, but the friendship by itself, is not good enough. You need a friendship that is intertwined with your relationship with the Holy Spirit. I thought that was a really good point, so I'll just keep moving on. But not just surround yourself with the right people, but we need to be the right person to be around. We got to take on that responsibility. I'll be the one that's going to encourage you. I'll be the one that's going to push you to do what's good, even when you want to quit. I'll be the one to, to when you come to church and it's been a couple of weeks, I'm not going to throw it in your face and say, well, where have you been, man? It's been a while, man. What, you, what have you been up to, man? Hey, what, I know where you've been, right? Like I've seen you on social media, right? Like we're not going to be that church. I mean, you could be that individual if you want, I guess. But we're not going to be that church. We're going to be a church that when somebody comes in after missing we're going to put our arm around that person and say, hey, man, it's so good to see you. I don't really, at this point, I don't really care where you've been. I just, I'm just glad that you're here. I'm just glad that you made it back. Now, there is conversation, and there is time to sit down and talk about struggles and sin and repentance. Yes, I'm not shying away from that, but our culture cannot be when somebody comes in that we're going to be the one to point out that they haven't been here in a while. We're going to be the one to love them, to be the right person, to be around. See, we got to be a Ruth, not an Orpah. An Orpah is the one who leaves when things get tough. An Orpah is the one who, who will show affection but not loyalty. An Orpah is the one who, who says good things in front of the person, but when that person is gone, they begin to talk about them after they've left. That's an Orpah. That's a weird name. We don't want to be an Orpah. We want to be Ruth. I don't want to be one that, that is only, only shows affection and no loyalty. Orpah turned from, from, Naomi, from Naomi because of what she lacked. She's like, yeah, you know what, Naomi, you're right. You don't have what I need. I'll go somewhere else. But can I challenge you to be the right person to be around? Be an encourager and not a competitor. Be an encourager and not a competitor. This church is not about competition. 
We have four other reclaims in the area. We have another church subleasing from here. I got a relationship with the pastor. Um, uh, it's the, the church at the school. It's a, a Spanish name, so I'm not going to say it because then I'll mess it up. Um, but I pray for these churches. We support these churches because we're not competing with them. We're all on the same team. You with your other believing friend, you with, with the other guys in the church, the other, the other ladies in the church, you're, we're not competing with one another. We're not trying to be a better, I want to be better than that person. I'm going to have a better car than them. I want to have a better family than them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post about it so that they see it and, and, and make them jealous. Like it's just crazy. We're not competing with each other. We're, we are encouragers, not competitors. We are encouragers, not competitors. Galatians 6, 4 through 5 says, make a careful exploration of, of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Come on. Don't compare yourself with others. Come on. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Competition starts with those who are doing nothing. And all they're doing is looking at what everybody else is doing. Don't compete. Don't compare, but be so, so lost in the presence and the work of God that you're doing your very best for what God has called you to do. And just be an encourager of everybody else. That makes sense. So I think our assignment can be missed, one, because we think we're, we're deficient and therefore we're not called. Two, it's in desolation. When we walk by ourselves, we miss our assignment. But three, I think it can be hidden in discouragement. And I could actually have David come up. And my wife is not, she's with the kids, so if we could have, you know, the pads, I love, yeah. I don't know what key he's in, but. Concealed, it, it could be concealed in discouragement. Is this helping anybody this morning? Talking about God calling us, and these things that could easily distract us. I love, I love this story. This story is, and I'm sure some of you have heard it before. And the way it ends is just crazy. Like, it just goes into this, like, it's almost like a, um, like a soap opera. Like, just things start just like advancing so fast. And, but see, the, what I want to, kind of the point I'm trying to make is the enemy will do anything. He'll do anything to get you to quit. And I know that I, I, I'm, I'm not, like, crazy like I know not everybody's going to serve God I get it I know that not everybody's going to do it I understand that I've seen it I've been in church a long time but I want to encourage you to not be that one because the enemy will do anything to get you to quit he'll throw in lies and say you're not good enough he'll he'll tell you you're all by yourself and let you believe it but then he begins to discourage us and what discourage does is, is it, it, it almost blinds us from seeing the potential in ourselves and the potential in others. See, Naomi was so discouraged that she couldn't see how important it was to invest into Ruth. She was only thinking about what she didn't have, what she had lost, that she was alone. It's in the seasons of discouragement that we lose sight of the importance of our assignment. But see, our assignment is very simple. It's to connect the lost to Jesus. 
That's my assignment. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I may be a pastor and I might preach. And all those things are good. It's good. I like it. I love what God has called me to do. But at the end of the day, my assignment is the same as yours. Win the loss to Christ. I, I, I put this on myself a little bit, but I do want to, I want to say this. That I'm a little bit sad. Not because we don't have just visitors. But I'm sad when I don't see lost people come to our church. And yeah, I put that on myself too. I need to invite more. I need to witness more. I do. But can I challenge you to do the same thing? To maybe say, God, I haven't been doing that simple assignment that you've placed over my life. See, the calling of God is wonderful. It's great. But the assignment remains the same. You could be called to be a missionary, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. Maybe you're called to be a worship songwriter or a worship leader or, or whatever it is that God has gifted you with. All that stuff is good. But it, it's for one reason. To win the lost to Jesus. To win the lost to Jesus. That's why we're here. The, the great commission was not go, go ye and become pastors. It was go and spread the gospel. Go and win the lost. That is our assignment. The, uh, and I'm, I'll be done right now. The year that we, we, they decided to send us out to Texas, it was, I believe it was 2017. I, I got these years so mixed up. I feel like we're still in 1999. <laughs> we missed the 90s. But the year they, they, they told us, really, it was time to go. And we prayed about it. God confirmed it in our hearts that it was, we were going to leave. It was 2017. And, man, I was like, God, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't, I don't know how it's going to look. I mean, you guys are here now, but you weren't here then. There was nobody. Isaiah and Angie weren't even coming yet. It was just me and my wife and my kids. And we only had two of them at the time. I remember just, just kind of like, man, like, I don't know what it's going to look like. God, I don't even know what we're supposed to do. And then one of, one of the pastors, he came up and preached. And uh, he did this, this tremendous message about, really about, I don't know, he talked about a lot of stuff. He asked me for the podcast thing. It's a tremendous message. He come and he starts preaching about us being called. And he says, you know, some of you guys are called to cities. And there's people in those cities that you don't, you're, you don't even know are there yet. There's people in those cities that are looking for something. They're looking for something, but they don't even know what it is. And they don't understand that they're actually looking for the message that you carry. And he's sharing this message and he's talking about going to different cities and different states. And he's saying there's, there's, there's people connected to your churches. And, you, and he, basically there's people connected to you saying yes. And I remember I was in, in the front row and I've shared this before. I don't like to cry, especially in front of people. And I was in the front row and you know you do like, like you try to like not to cry. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I can't like. Because God began to speak to me that there's people that need the message of Christ in Hutto. In Texas. And he's basically telling me, like, I assigned you to go there. And at that time, there was nobody. There was no building. There was no gathering. There was no group. It was just a, a, a call of God, an assignment. We said yes. Now I look around today, and we're still beginning. 
But today we've had people come in and say, man, my life has been changed because of this church. God has renewed my marriage, renewed my relationships, renewed my spirit because of what he's doing in this church. People have come and gotten saved. Those that were lost, didn't know Christ, came and began to know him because of what we're doing in the church. Now, again, it's not on us. It's the spirit of God. But he moves through our yes. So you've been assigned by God. It's a very simple assignment. Spread the gospel. Connect the lost to the healer, to the, to the father. Connect the broken, the hurting, to the only one that can help them, the Lord. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For more information on our church, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ReclaimTX or check us out on our website, ReclaimChurchTX.com. Thank you for listening.